This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the final episode of our Best Of series, where Dad and I have been handpicking our favorite episodes of the show. We actually did our first live shows in almost three years, back a little while ago, um, back at the tail end of 2022, and we had such a great time doing it, so we thought we'd finish off this Best Of season by playing an episode where we basically uh, let you experience what it's like to be on the road with Dad and I. Um, in- <laughs> Dad, if we were going to go on a big road trip with everybody, mm. uh, how like a think, bus, like a bus, how yeah. how would that pan out? Could I drive? Uh, would you want to drive, or would you want uh, someone else to drive, and then you stand there with a microphone? No, 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 I would drive and have one of those microphones that comes down. Yeah, okay, so I can talk and yeah, I just drive and talk. Uh, what do you like as a um, road trip buddy? What, what are your? I think I'm really good. In what respect? Well, I went away with you and Tegan. We did that sort of regional tour. That's right. And we did an amazing. Uh, we did a book. A book show mm-hmm. a, a book talk you know in a town with so many people mm. it was fascinating and i think uh i think i'm an affable chap and i think we all got along well yeah would you concur yes uh yes there's a there's sort of weird hesitation there no it's just uh we all spent a lot of time together mm. and there was that weird night where we all spent the night in the jail that was weird that was very weird but we were in separate cells yes that's true uh, and weirdly, the prison warders let Tegan and I share a bunk, which I believe in uh, in uh, prison slang makes uh, me Tegan's bitch. Anyway, it was a great trip, and uh, you can now get a little taste of what it was like to actually be on the road with Dad, and myself, and Tegan. So please enjoy our final best of episode on the road. Hello, folks. Now, we just finished our magical sellout tour of Bendigo and Adelaide and everything in between. Thanks to everyone who came to those shows. By the way, tickets are selling fast for our live show in Brisbane in February 2020, so you better run if you want to land those. But I just wanted to say that we made a lot of wonderful friends on the tour. We met some incredible people. We heard all of your stories. We made wonderful connections. But the flip side was being trapped in a car driving cross-country with Dad for five days. Tegan was there too. And what you're about to hear this episode is a special on-the-road episode. It's made up from snippets of Dad and I conversing on the journey. So the audio quality, it's going to sound like we're in a car or something because 
we were in a car or something. And at the very end, the audio goes really, really bad for this one thing involving Tegan and I making fun of Dad. Now, the audio started recording through the car speakers, and it was really weird, and it sounds like something playing through a tannoy underwater. It's an absolute nightmare, but it's just too funny not to include. So please... Sit back, relax, and enjoy Loose Units on the Road edition. So Loose Units is on the road, and we've just spent the night in a jail, in an actual, in an actual jail. Now, the rooms were ostensibly just cells, and um, once the doors swung shut, it was, I assume, like a kind of bougie version of what prisoners would have been through. Uh, and it was really interesting wandering into the prison yard um, after having spent the night there, and seeing Dad, an ex-cop, and asking him what you know, what he thought of having spent the night in a prison. First of all, Dad, had you ever stayed in a prison before? Um, no, but look, uh, I'd like to set the scene not so much for the prison, but where we are right now. So we're in a, uh, a car, and that the listeners may hear a bit of a background noise. If, um, if things go really quiet all of a sudden, that means we've probably had a head-on collision, which is not great. In which case, I don't know, I mean, the paramedics have maybe been the ones to give the audio to the... Well, I'm the engineer, so... Yeah. All right. I mean, it'll be a very short, because we've only just started, but what I, I just saw a signpost for the listeners about a minute ago, and it said, Adelaide, 444 kilometres, which, funnily enough, is kind of half... 888 and 888888 is very lucky in Chinese. So does that mean that we're going to have a half lucky trip or... This is great content. Listen, could you talk about the prison, please? Yeah, okay, well, so uh, we stayed in this prison and it, it, actually I was fairly nonplussed when we arrived. We'd been driving all day and uh, we arrived in Mount Gambia yesterday afternoon. I'll tell you what, it was pretty pretty cold compared to where we'd been in in a lot of Victoria and uh, and it just didn't I didn't fully appreciate the whole prison thing and they had this really weird prison sort of striped you know cliched uniform and a prison warders off uh, sort of outfit yeah. and Paul uh, Paul you were a little bit upset that I didn't want to try all the garb on and <laughs> I, dress up as a prisoner which I, I thought was fucking stupid I just thought it would be kind of funny to have dad like to have the tables turned and I, want, I thought listeners might like to see a photo of dad dressed up as a prisoner being put into a jail cell that's all yeah yeah but it just seemed so inane at the time however we uh, we went out last night for a meal that I prefer not to talk about and uh, then uh, that's not to say that all the food in Mount Gambia is because there's, there are probably some great places and that's one of the problems of driving into a town shit that's my phone Anyway, um, basically, when we got back to the prison last night, and I basically locked myself in my cell. Now, these cells, uh, I took a photograph of my cell, and perhaps some, perhaps Paul or maybe Tegan, you can put it up on Facebook, because I'd like you to see the cell. And uh, it basically, it was sort of really weird in that, I locked myself into this cell and I was lying there and then I began to think about the whole concept of incarceration and uh, it really, uh, realising that I could actually just get out of that room at any time and then I sort of had a bit of a minor epiphany where I thought, wow, these men and women uh, in jail, they, they don't get to, uh, to open up their cell and walk out. You actually have a prison uh, or warden or warder yeah. 
sort of at a certain time opening up the cell now they can check on you they can sort of there was a like a, a hatch where they can sort of and a peephole where they can sort of see uh, you know how you're going in this particular uh, cell that I stayed in last night there were uh, no toilet facilities um, and there never have been there was just uh, one sink and uh, and a bed and it was really uh, yeah and there was you know the the, the jail was built in uh, around about 1860 out of sandstone, sort of hand-hewn uh, blocks that probably would have been cut by, you know, people possibly doing hard labour. And uh, and I began to reflect. I woke up this morning really early, around about five, five in the morning, and um, I was just lying in bed looking up at the, the curved ceiling, firstly thinking about the beautiful way they'd constructed that great ceiling because I, I, I mean I love you know early architecture the arch how it's self-supporting etc do you think prisoners would have appreciated the architecture well no probably not well, you don't know but no. but uh, and then I had one of those great look it was dark relatively dark and then I went out of my cell and I had a shower which was uh, quite an experience. Was that in the... Because uh, I know that sh- um, prisons typically have communal showers. Were you in the communal showers? Uh, no, there was just one shower, but I, I couldn't find the light switch that turns... Anyway, that's another story, but eventually when I got it working. Then I came back to my cell and uh, got dressed, and then I thought, look, I'll try and get out and amongst the, uh, the, the yards and just get a sense of what it used to be like. And, wow, they had this um, courtyard... And, they had the most beautiful mural painted, but it was sort of a semi, um, sort of a fantasy type uh, scene with these sort of almost mythical animals. And then I read the uh, the text about the particular mural, and it was painted by a prisoner. But the prisoner actually wanted uh, he he'd asked the uh, the head of the jail could he paint a mural that that replicated the scene behind the wall outside the jail and I thought golly that's to give the prisoners this wonderful sense of perhaps not being uh, enclosed in this rather depressing environment and uh, needless to say you guessed it the the prison warder said uh, no however he did let them or let this particular artist paint a uh, sort of a mythological forest scene which is still quite nice but isn't it weird to think that even back then they the prisoners wanted to sort of have ways of escaping this this terribly sort of you know depressing place and also because I had a lot of time I had about an hour this morning walking around I uh, I began to realize through some of the the research that was like information on some of the walls that in fact three people had hung at that uh, particular prison and then I began to read all the, the sads you know they are pretty depressing the stories um, and one of the guys that was hung, he, his name was Carl Jung, which is ironic in that he was a great uh, philosopher. The, 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 uh, the other Carl Jung, not the one in the prison, obviously. No, no, not that. Yeah, that would have been quite... That, then it had become sort of a, a major tourist attraction, I suppose. But um, Do you find it interesting that, I mean, you mentioned the, um, the painting being a way of prisoners sort of escaping in their heads. I mean, is a prison technically just a place that you you can't leave because we we got to walk out this morning which which means it's not really a prison like it used to be but i mean do you think what do you think prison does to the to the human brain you know i 
when I was lying in my cell last night, I was trying to imagine what it would be like to spend years and years in an institution. But then, now this is really, really, really weird. <clears throat> and here's the thought. I was actually imagining myself becoming conditioned to that environment. And even though I was only there for maybe 12 hours, my brain was already thinking about the, the, the comfort and the fact that you are isolated from the real world and being away from the real world actually has its advantages. You don't have to worry so much about, dare I say it, global warming, uh, the economy, all these day-to-day problems that we on the outside encounter, the highs and lows, they become almost meaningless. And then I actually even took my thought process further and this is going to sound a little bit well perhaps strange now that I reflect on it but I actually began to think of myself as a prisoner and then wanting to come back to jail and what crimes I would commit seriously and then I had this vision not a vision but I had this I was playing out this scenario of how prisoners and it's a known fact that prisoners become so institutionalised that they actually commit crimes to get back into jail. Isn't that called recidivism, I think? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So the thing is, I was actually imagining myself assaulting a prison guard on my way out. That's so what happens when we leave Dad alone for 30 minutes. <laughs> no, how fucked up. In this conversation, I'm driving in the middle of the most beautiful scenery towards Adelaide. It's so beautiful. and uh, But it's a very, very... Uh, it's evocative, the... Uh, countryside and it and it makes me reflect on I mean I can't really reflect on what it's like to be a prisoner I've never had my liberty taken away from me uh, but knowing that I was standing in these grounds and, and and the three men that were hung in the in the grounds of um, Mount Gambia prison are all buried in unmarked graves within the confines of where we stayed last night yeah. there are three men or the remains of them and uh, I find that somewhat poignant Um, yeah sorry no I was just going to say Tegan who uh, listeners will know she's part of a comedy group called Watson and Watson did a show at the old Melbourne jail uh, in Melbourne dad you you came and saw the show it was mind blowing it was so fantastic but it had a kind of like immersive quality to it and you became part of this really interactive experience and I was lucky enough to play a small role in it I was a performer in the show and part of my prep for it was having to wait in a cell in a jail in an actual old jail in the dark for about 30 minutes and one thing that I realised was it's it's not a jail anymore. It's just a building with history, right? And it, and once you realise, because a prison has to have several things to be an actual prison. It has to have, first of all, you can't leave. Um, you need to have done something wrong to get there, or you know, uh, perceived to have done something wrong. And um, you need to have. It's the observation that is a big part of prison. So, you, like you mentioned, wardens before, there was no one at this place. I mean, the staff were kind of off doing whatever. We weren't being watched at any point. How big a role do you think observation has? Um, in, in, in something being a prison? Very, a very, very significant role. When I don't know whether you noticed, but when we came out of, um, of our uh, respective uh, cells this morning, you know when we walked out of the cell, did you happen to look up and see all the, uh, the mesh above us? Yes. So you, you actually, whilst you get out of your cell, you're into another bigger cell, which is a yard. Um, one of the funny things about 
these institutions is that they, particularly in the 19th century, they had a very strong sense of uh, religiosity. So they had a, uh, you know, a chapel and uh, they also had a a little garden for contemplation, probably contemplating, uh, you know, how how I was going to get out or what I was going to do when I got out. Uh, There's a definite energy, uh, a palpable sort of feeling of, I find it actually quite somber and um, I don't necessarily believe in ghosts or spirits but to walk amongst a place of such misery because I, I doubt there would have been a lot of joy and happiness and, yeah. uh, and, and you know there was, there was there were staff that worked there and you know some of the staff would have been uh, kind and some of the staff you know would have been uh, you know sadists and, uh, and, and, you know, there would have been bashings and there would have been deprivation and there was a special room that I walked into this morning that I found very intense and that was the room where people would go to prior to being hung. And uh, just the thought of, uh, you know, I have a real problem uh, with, you know, the concept, uh, you know, murder being a, being a diabolically horrendous sort of concept and I you know I'm very very much uh, <clears throat> aware of the Judeo-Christian sort of philosophy about you know in the Old Testament an eye for an eye yeah. but I, I, I have a real problem with that because once you say to a human being uh, we're giving up on you we don't believe that you will ever ever uh, be able to or we will never ever give you a chance to change or to make good make make uh reparation uh, I think once a human being knows that they have no possible chance it's um, it's very bleak and I was thinking about that whole concept of taking away one's liberty and then I again in my um, my moment of contemplation this morning also thought about the concept of parents and parenting and disciplining their children when they say to a child go to your room in essence, and this is going to sound a little bit extreme, um, I feel in a way that parents are actually saying to the children, you, you know, in, a, in a weird way, go go to your room, which is in essence a cell. Exactly. <laughs> no, because they're saying you 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 don't come out of that 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 room no. until you know you say sorry or you know you're going to be in there for a certain period of time. And actually, if you sort of transfer that that thought process uh, of, of being isolated and time, then in, in essence you've created, uh, although this is going to sound extreme, yeah. but I think you, you're actually, what we're doing in society is we're reproducing that, that same environment, albeit more organised, and then the concept of taking away liberty, and, and if, yeah, look, you know, crime and punishment, these are some of the greatest philosophical problems of our time is how to deal with with criminals, and it's it's such a, a deep and meaningful and complex issue. But I'm sure there are people out there that um, have committed crime, and some of it terrible. But you know, they're living. Some of them are living amongst us. We might not know who they are, what they did, and they've they've actually come good. And of course, there are other people uh, that you know. Perhaps never ever 
come good. Look, it's just so... So you're saying, I mean, I find it very interesting that you think um, society has taken the idea of sending someone to their room until they've thought about what they've done and transposed that on a big scale um, and and turned that into prison or maybe, maybe the other way around. Um, one of the things I liked was uh, when I was at uni, they told us about the panopticon, which is this concept that was come up with by, of course, a Frenchman. And it's a prison where basically the prison itself is like a coliseum. It's like a ring of buildings, right? And the only window you have is facing the inside of that kind of sphere, of that, of that ring. And in the middle of the ring, there is like a pylon. Um, so the idea of the panopticon is, right? So you've got that ring. But then in the middle, there's a pylon. And inside the pylon at any time, there could be prison wardens. But it's a, it's a, one, it's a, two, it's a one-way mirror. So the people always live in this outside ring. And the people always live in fear of being observed but they never know when they're being observed. And so they start self-policing their own behavior and they start changing. And, and, and that, that premise is the premise that the TV show Big Brother came off uh, and, and used. Mm. Because in Big Brother, you don't know when you're being filmed and you start to actually behave in a way that always assumes that you are being observed. And so you do the policing on yourself. And then after a while, you forget that you're doing that. And so you live in a constant state of self-policing. Now, that's a kind of prison, right? Do you think that closed-circuit television and constant streaming and constant, you know, constant phones being out, do you think we're basically living in like a kind of, in a, in a, in a faux-light prison state of some sort right now? Like, well, do you- I, that's an interesting point. But if, if I can take that even deeper, and that is that, we all actually are living in that world already based on our own sense of morality. Okay. So in terms of, re- you know, we, do, we don't have prison warders or police watching us now on this road, but I'm aware of natural law and order and constraints that say to me, okay, there's no one around, but I'm not going to drive at 200 kilometres an hour no. because I, I'm self... Um, self policing uh, really policing myself yeah. based on you know lots and lots of look it's just so the whole concept of right and wrong of um forgiveness uh of uh of restitution in terms of families that uh i'll never ever forget that uh anita Cobby's father uh he publicly forgave the the offenders did you know that uh no i didn't and you're aware of what they did to her. It's one of the most uh, terrible crimes in Australian criminal uh, history. Yeah. Uh, so the, the ability to forgive is, uh, is quite amazing, isn't it? Mm. You know, look, state-sanctioned murder, which is, uh, you know, the death penalty. Mm. Uh, okay, here's a bit of a, here's a, bit of a, uh, a fallacy. And there's a, a, an international fallacy that people actually, governments say that the death penalty is a deterrent. Well, I have never, ever heard such bullshit in my entire life. Totally disproven. Have a look at America. Have a look at crime. The whole, the whole genesis of committing a crime, the first premise that a prisoner thinks about is the fact that they're not going to get caught. Now, you know, if you have the death penalty... I mean, let's look at America. There's no reduction in terrible crime in America. People aren't going out to commit crimes and go, oh, well, because they're always thinking, I'm not going to get caught. Now, when they get caught uh, and they go through the system, 
are you aware, and for the listeners, here's a, here's a fun fact, that in California, they spend more on their, on their corrective services in terms of that state. Their entire budget for keeping people in prison in California exceeds the entire budget in California for education. Now, that is a statistic that is on so many levels so bad. I'm quite sure that there are lots and lots of people in jail in lots of crimes that, um, look, it's just, it's, it's a weird world we've created. And, uh, and you know, shock jocks uh, that, that get on and go on about, you know, everyone should be in jail for everything. And it's just, you know, it's, I find it, uh, you know, and I've dealt, I've, I've been at the cutting edge uh, where I've arrested people and taken their liberties away and they've gone through the process and gone out, gone into jail. And I've been into jails. We've got a lot of material in the book and podcast. Yeah. Some of the horrendous stories about what happens in jail. And, uh, oh, look, it's just, it's an age-old problem. The eagle oh, right in front of eagle. us. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, is it? Sorry, the, the the landscape here is crazy. We are currently driving through, uh, like, basically an, an array of wind farms and there's poppies everywhere and the sun's up and there's eagles flying around. It's ridiculously beautiful here. And it is just, you know, we did, we did just spend the night in prison and we did just leave. And weirdly enough, around the corner, speaking of the death penalty, around the corner from our, um, our cells in the yard where a gallows would have been, mm. there was setting up a stage for a music festival. Yeah. It was just such a strange contrast, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, look, it's... Oh, dear. It's, so, it's one of the great problems and, you know, questions of our time that up there with some of the really, really big issues is what to do with um, with, with bad people. Mm. But then defy, defy, define bad. It means so many different things to so many different people. Yeah. Um, and... and the reason we're talking about this, you know, obviously, we're, we're on a road trip. We've, we've, we've done a big live show, and now we're heading to Adelaide to do a big show tomorrow night. Uh, but we stayed in this prison, and that evokes all sorts of, uh, of questions, and really, really important, meaningful questions about... And, and you know, look, if, um, if, you're, if a member of your family commits a crime and they go to jail, you know... You're still probably going to, I guess it depends on the crime, but you're still going to love them and you're going to visit them and you're going to, you know, if people are really nasty to you about that particular person, you're going to take sides and go, well, you know, actually they're, they're a really, really nice person. And and, and, and let's look at, um, you know, horrendous cases of uh, prolonged domestic violence, d- domestic violence where... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra 
and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There comes a point, and I'm not sort of justifying the end, but courts now, nowadays with, with a lot more wisdom and understanding are saying, well, hang on a sec, you know, what other circumstances where what let's look at the misery that led up to this particular incident and yeah. every human being in this world is uh, we are all susceptible to you know to rage to irrationality to all those human emotions and then when you feed those emotions with drugs and alcohol and mental illness they become polarized uh, in my time in the police force I had a lot to do with you know and that's another thing too, which I think it's really important for listeners to understand that the police don't really take into consideration mental illness. What they do is they arrest and charge people and then the, the, the system then determines that particular person's state of mind. Well, it's not a policeman's no, or police person's job. job to commit to, um, to uh, actually adjudicate. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just to arrest, yeah. Can I just say at this juncture that we are right in the middle of a wind farm and it is so unbelievable that I'm almost speechless. It's very science fiction. It's so, so, so big and... Oh, they're beautiful. They're stunning. Can you believe this? It's, I've never seen anything like this before. Obviously, you know, this is an audio format. Well, look... Let's, uh, we can wrap this prison talk up and I know we went a little bit philosophical but honestly it was really interesting to be doing a crime podcast with your ex-cop dad and then realise that you know Tegan had gleefully booked us into a prison and you know even though we didn't slip into the costumes I think we kind of slipped into a pretty deep conversation about you know incarceration and we hope you enjoyed it Hey dad did you ever do that thing where you run to the car and then slide across the bonnet of the car? When? When you were a cop, you dingus. Um, That's a good question. No. Would you like to? No, I think... Well, imagine if it failed. Yeah, but you can't just... When you skydived, imagine if that failed. Yeah, but it didn't. Yeah, but it... Can you just slide across to Bonnet just once? We've got a rental. It's fine. It'll buff out. No. No way. Because (laughs) it's got little ridges in it. It'd feel nice, though. That'll make give me air. <laughs> How fast do you think you're going to be going? Thirty kilometers an hour. Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. Have you ever jumped through the air in slow motion and like fired your guns in, at the same time? I remember uh, I after I'd been out of the police force for a while, and uh, I was offered this incredible job, and the money was insane, and it just didn't seem real. And the guy, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was my sort of ability to oversell my uh, you know my talent is that like in those um, job interviews where they ask for your biggest floor and you say well if anything I'm too qualified yeah but this guy actually he, he gave me an incredible job but he's not the sad part but kind of he's a bit sad in that he uh, his name was Cyril Brown which I think is, uh, if you're listening Cyril uh, I'd like to apologise again for what I did to you uh, he bought me the most incredible brand new car I did the job for a week 
and he's invested. I'm, I'm, I mean, I become the second partner in this incredible business, and I became so um, anxious that I just couldn't do the job. And I'm sitting in his office in Burwood, and there was a sheet of glass between us. Have you heard the story? No. And I'm looking um, at him, and I'd left the work cover authority, and I loved all that sort of stuff. And uh, get ready for this. And I don't want. I mean, this is going to sound absolutely surreal, and it's possible uh, that people may not have even heard of what I'm about to say happening. I called Christine. Can you guess what I said to her? No. No, I said, uh, Christine, can you please call Cyril and tell him I'm resigning? How's that? I'm a total coward. And I just sat there. His phone rings. He picks it up. And it's Christine telling him that John, who's sitting on the other side of this clear glass, looking at him, and his, his eyes come up and he looks at me, and she's telling him that John can't continue to work there. And, and it, it, it was so scary. And, then, and I just didn't feel guilty getting Christine to do the dirty work. And then he comes around into my little office and he says to me, but what am I going to do about the car? And I just... Do you know what? I was so excited. Now, you mentioned to me something about slow motion before. Mm. This was in a very busy suburb in Sydney called Burwood, and the office was upstairs in Burwood Road. And I basically just gave him the keys and walked out. And I started running down the footpath in this crowded street, and I actually started clicking... You know how you run up and you flick to the left and click your heels together? And then you do the same on the right? And I was jumping, running, skipping down the street. I was so excited and I had such a, a weight lifted off and uh, I called public transport home. I then went back to the work cover authority that I'd officially left and I got Christine to call the director. His name was Paul McLaughlin. We used to call him Sir Lunchalot and he really, really liked me and he somehow or other, with his complex state government uh, red tape, he managed to unwind and reverse my resignation and I'll never forget the day I walked back into the office and there were, everyone's just looked up and thought hang on you you resigned and I just went what and I just kind of took up where I left off so the, what I'm taking from this is that you're a big wuss who gets mum to do everything for you well not everything I mean I I did I admit I did get Christine to do some of those things for me <laughs> which is so weird isn't it in that I have done so many incredibly fearless things but Sometimes I just feel so... Look, I felt bad. People assume that you are a lot tougher than you actually are. Is that what you say that's fair? Uh, I can be really tough, but I've also got a, uh, you know, soft interior. Yeah. Like a... Um, marshmallow. No, not a marshmallow. I'm thinking more like a, a nice chocolate with a soft centre. Right. Like a chocolate marshmallow. No. It could be a chocolate marshmallow. Do you think you could throw handcuffs at someone and they'd, like, snap on, like, long distance? That is an impossibility. Do you want to test that theory? Well, like a bolus, you know? You're, like, you're swinging around your head and throw it and it goes... On. The funny thing about... We learned how to put handcuffs on and there was a technique where you'd hold the pair, you'd grab between them, mm. and there was a technique where you could just go whack on the person's wrist mm. and they'd instantaneously... But occasionally you'd forget to lock, unlock them and it wouldn't work and it just 
literally break their bones in their wrist. Right. Which was painful. So you couldn't throw it because you'd need to be, you'd have to be holding it midair, which is impossible. Yeah, but that's that's. Could you like rig it so that it didn't snap on? I just want to throw some handcuffs at somebody. Well, handcuffs are actually very heavy. Oh, really? Proper handcuffs. You remember that? Um, speaking of handcuffs, the uh, Edward Wayne Gacy that used to uh, have the trick handcuffs. No. He murdered, I think, around about. I think it's fifty-six young boys. You mean uh, John Wayne Gacy? Well, what did I say? You said Edward Wayne oh, okay. Gacy. It was a nicer name. I just don't think it's correct. Was it John Wayne Gacy? It was John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Okay. And he did those. Um, he used to. He's a, he was terrible. Mm. But one of the things he used to do, he used to get boys. He had like a little gymnasium in his garage. You know the story? No. And he'd bring these boys home and he'd get them to work out and pump iron and you know, he'd, he'd obviously be enjoying the whole thing and he would get the boys trust and then he would get this fake pair of handcuffs and he'd put them on himself and then he'd get the boy to put them on himself and then and, and the boy would realise oh they're just fake they're, you can get them off really easily and then unbeknownst to the boy is that he had a second pair of handcuffs hidden and he'd swap them without the boy seeing and then he'd get the real handcuffs and he'd handcuff the boy and the boy couldn't get them off and that was the, the beginning of the end that's horrifying yep and then when he went to jail there's a very famous painting that he gave to the uh, the warden of the jail in America and it had a clown because he used to be dressed up as a clown and he had this um, he kind of looked like an oh, I won't say it but yeah because I might be sued but uh, he looked like another clown from a well known uh, organisation that's involved in fast food <laughs> and uh, like try and guess which one <laughs> yeah and the thing is um, when he presented this uh, this is really horrific and kind of creepy um, he presented the warden with this really quite nice painting of a clown peering from behind a tree in a pine forest but here's the rub there are all these balloons in the painting and there are way way more than 56 balloons and the the, the belief was that every balloon was a dead boy and by that reckoning the prison water has to this day thought that the reality is if you count the number of balloons, that's how many young boys. Isn't that incredible? Oh, God. Dad, do you know of any, like, unsolved cases? People love those. Unsolved? Uh, well, you may recall that, uh, or you will recall, that we did this uh, really great, uh, like, a private show at, for Acast for a, some of the top advertising reps. Yeah, all the, all the people over at Nova. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we did that a few weeks ago, and they asked... It was a sort of an inner city uh, venue, mm. and someone asked from the, the crowd, "Oh, do you have any particular, uh, you know, sort of forensic, sort of scientific stories from this area?" Yeah. And weirdly enough, I uh, I recall this very famous story. Now I say famous; it was kind of famous within the police force, but I have never heard it discussed uh, publicly. Mm. Uh, and there was a very, very famous. Uh, series of murders in Sydney uh, around all the parks uh, around Hyde Park, Central Park and this particular person that uh, was never caught like Jack the Ripper although there's been a lot of conjecture over the years you know, was he a member of the royal family and all that sort of exciting stuff but this particular guy uh, assuming it was a guy was known as the Mutilator and uh you know, all criminals have an MO, modus operandi, method of operation, the way they, you know, the, the, that's their signature, their fingerprint as to what they, uh, 
as to what that, you know, the things that make that crime uh, sort of fairly unique to them, particularly if it's multiple offenders, sorry, multiple victims. Yeah. And uh, this guy, what he used to do, he used to prey on homeless men that were unconscious or sleeping, rough, you know, like the old term wino. When I joined the New South Wales Police Force uh, in the very early 80s, they used to be called Warbs. Anyway, um, and we're actually, as, as I'm talking, we're, uh, we're driving to Adelaide. Yeah. Which is exciting. Um, anyway, this particular guy, he used to um, delicately, I imagine, remove their pants in the wee hours of uh, the morning, and he would um, somehow or other surgically remove their penis and scrotum perfectly. It was amazing. Uh, sorry, I just almost ran off the road. Yeah, you're not laughing at that. No, when I said scrotum. And, um... God. And, yeah, he used to... And they used to... They, they invariably all died. Which is... Which would tend to happen if you'd lost your penis and scrotum in one hit. Sure. So, these people never woke up. And they woke up minus their genitalia. What? Oh, sorry, shit, did I just say they woke up? Yeah. No, they didn't. Well, not in this life. I guess, are you implying that when you die, if you die without your penis, you wake up in the afterlife without your penis? I don't know. Okay. But, um, so I guess what I'm asking is, like, how, how did you guys encounter this particular crime? Was it because you were finding genital-free bodies lying around, or was it because you were finding, like, the genitals themselves? No, the genitals were never, ever recovered. Ever? No. So they could have ended up, well, like that story, the, the penis necklace. But we know that those penises and scrotums were taken from dead bodies at the, at the morgue. Right, yeah. I mean, these people, when they arrived at the morgue, they were already missing their um, balls and knobs. You know what's scary, listeners, is I'm... This is just... It's not upsetting me at all. Not because it's not horrible, but because I've just heard so many dreadful stories that now I'm sort of numb to it. Do you find that you... Do, you, do these stories elicit an emotional reaction in you anymore, or do you just sort of see them as stories that happen to someone else? Um, look, I do find them interesting. Um, one of the really fascinating things is sometimes I watch your reaction, and that's really interesting. But uh, the, the live shows, I, I can always... <clears throat> well, they're very, very dimly lit from the audience perspective because we've got bright lights in our eyes, but I can always see at least the front row yeah. and I get a lot of my feedback visual feedback from people in the front row and I can tell as I'm talking by the way they're reacting you know with the facial expressions the, the way and it's really it's very very interesting getting that immediate feedback uh, but you may recall, Paul, because uh, occasionally I get feedback to say, oh, you must be very, uh, you know, you've got to be, t- you know, must be tough. But uh, I've had a few situations. Uh, what the, uh, the listeners may not know, and I'm not sure whether I've made reference to this, but those TV shows uh, where people fall over, those home bloopery type things, they actually make me physically ill. I actually find them really distressing and I can't watch them. I can't have them on in the house because I actually find it really upsetting and distasteful of filming people having, like, actually watching people genuinely 
fall over and hit the back of their head or do a somersault and smash their head on the side of a pool. I find it so upsetting. So I've really um, reached my limitation in life for bad shit. And when I was with you kids and we watched that uh, footage, uh, you know, the Twin Towers, and I saw those people jumping out of the buildings, I, I broke down and wept. I was so upset. And then there was a documentary called The Falling Man, where they traced this unidentifiable uh, person, a black guy, it had jumped. And it's the most beautiful documentary, and may I commend it to everyone, the pathos and the, and the sadness, and they didn't know who he was. And then you go into the whole story behind in his life. And But just to see a human being falling like that, it was it's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And that includes all the things I saw from my forensic and police days. That, that one thing actually probably was the straw that broke my back. So, yeah, there's a bit of an aside too. But, but this guy that went out and just cut all these guys' uh, genitalia off, he was never caught. A lot of guys died. They were generally homeless, winos, you know, people that had come into this world, innocent babies, grown up, things that happened in their lives we don't know. And, uh, and they would have been given paup- a lot of them would have been given paupers' um, burials. And also, Paul, if I may say, what I'd really, really love to do is reach out to the listeners and let's try and get a really, really good couple of sessions of some really intense Q&As. Because we do it live. Yeah. Maybe we could perhaps put it out there and do some, open up some really deep topics yeah please do um hop on the facebook page at facebook.com forward slash loose units and send us some you know send us some tricky questions some conversation starters because we would love to really get more involved in the big questions you've got uh and i mean we should go because otherwise i think we're going to get blown over by one of these things but um thank you so much for listening to this very special on the road post prison episode of loose units the podcast Situation. If 
I'm at the dryer and I see some poor bloke, in the, I don't see him in the cubicle, but if he's in the cubicle, I keep the dryer going for a long, long time. But to keep it going, this is my problem with this, and listeners, tell me if you agree, in order to keep the dryer going, you need to be there by the dryer, which means once they leave the toilet, they're going to see a very intense middle-aged man staring at them with his hands under a dryer saying, you're welcome. Yeah. Also, I know I'm never meant to um, <clears throat> interrupt in the podcast, but is one of the things that defines an unmarked police vehicle's giant letters down the side that say police. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the car that was blocking that car has moved it. it's just a police oh, car. Oh, I'm sorry. I need corrective surgery on my left ear now. Uh-huh. T and A screamed in my ear, and also some of the, the Christmas task came out into my ear. Hey, something else worth noticing is that uh, one thing that Dad has is a very, like, MacGyver-esque approach to just stuff. And we were sitting in the car in the rain, eating pies, and he left the car, circled around to my side, and then bent down, and he put his hands in a puddle to wash his hands in filthy puddle water. And gutter water. And behind him, a public toilet, which, as we've established, he visited minutes prior. So he comes back to the car, we make fun of him. And then he leaves the car, and instead of washing his hands in the tap, as we all agreed, he runs his hands along the bonnet of our rain soap. <laughs> looking at me daggers in his eyes now. And the other thing I do, as all the listeners, or well, hopefully a lot of the listeners know, I, I swim um, all year round, and in wintertime it's particularly cold. But if I'm having a shower, it's one of those showers that you've got to keep pressed to keep feeding the water. Mm. Because of water restrictions, they've set it up so it lasts maybe five seconds. But if there's someone in one of the cubicles, I always have a long, long shower. Why? Because I makes them relaxed in that they don't have to worry about the noise they're making. And yet you get some people that come into the and, hey, look, Tegan's in the back just wide-eyed. But, hey, that's a truth. That's the truth. And I like to listen, listen, I know you're going to have to take a noisy shit, so I'm just going to create as much white noise as possible. I'll be well, out here. Ignore well, me. Well, in Japan, if you go to a good restaurant, they have... Uh, they have you <laughs> by the hands, right? <laughs> No, they have beautiful sound effects, like, uh, you know, fruits of the forest. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, I'm very considerate. Now, I can't, I'm not one of these people that can go into a public toilet and just just release this phantasmagorical explosion of shit that goes everywhere. I can't do that. I'm always thinking about other people. I mean, I've, I've walked into some uh, public toilets, and it's like going to a murder scene. Sure. Well, you've, you've been to both now, so I think that's a fair Anyway, idea. That's, that's my uh, Meningi story. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.